time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for Tech Tuesday. Welcome back to Tech Tuesday. I'm Myla Wong. My name is Raj Shroff, and I'm a director of applied AI research at Blue Artificial Intelligence. So last week, Samsung unveiled its first AI-powered smartphones. What do you think are the most exciting features of this S24 series? A few features stand out with the new Samsung S24 phone series. These phones can translate phone calls across 13 languages in almost real-time speed. And yes, there's actually some very cool photo editing functions where you can move and resize parts of the photo, and the phone's AI will fill in the rest of the image. But aside from all those things, there's one new feature here that stands out to me, and that's the new circle to search feature. So when you're looking at something on your phone screen and you say, "Oh, that's a really interesting video," or "I really like some part of that picture." You can long press the home button to launch this circle to search tool that lets you draw a circle or a shape around a specific part of the picture on the screen, and whatever you select is then loaded into Google Search to perform a visual search. Google Visual Search existed before this, but it searched the entire image, not a single part of the image, like a handbag that a model is holding. And for most people, this is going to be a huge time saver because it's great for quickly getting your question answered in a case where a text search won't work. Do we know about these features before the launch? Because we knew Samsung was introducing AI smartphones a few months back. Were there any surprises with what the new range can do? Yeah, because a lot of these features were leaked ahead of time. There's not that many surprises in terms of AI features by themselves. However, I did find it interesting that many of these AI features on the S24 phones are driven by Google's new Gemini AI models, and this is interesting to people even in the tech community because it deepens Google's already very deep integration into smartphones. They already own Android operating systems. Now, with Gemini's integration, Google's AI is starting to get very deeply embedded into Samsung's high-end smartphones. And that's pretty notable because Samsung phones, as a whole, make up a very large percentage of the smartphone market. So it's just basically increasing Google's dominance, even though the phone is branded as Samsung. Right. You talked about editing photos on the smartphone without having to open an app for that. So what's the difference between using an AI app and having AI on device? Yeah, so this is a very important distinction, especially if you're a technology geek,、um, as I am. And from the early reviews, it seems that the Samsung's S24 phones rely more on this type of cloud-based, internet-based AI processing, where it's almost like using an extra app, even though it looks like you're in the same app. However, these phones also use the on-device AI processing to process information in certain apps. So, for example, the Messages app on the Samsung phone is going to have something called a Magic Compose feature to help you write messages in different styles, such as a formal style or an informal style, for example. And there's also a fun new feature called the Photo Emoji feature that can convert your photos that you take on the phone into customized emojis. So, if you have a nice selfie of yourself, you can convert that selfie into an emoji, and all of this is done without internet access. And in theory, can be processed much faster. There's also an added privacy benefit because your data stays on your phone when the on-device AI tool is used. So your photo is not being sent anywhere 
for the AI processing to happen. Is the AI smartphone going to give Samsung an edge over Apple? I mean, Apple became the top smartphone seller in the world last year. It's basically a little bit too early to tell, especially because Apple will embed their new phones with AI features as well. And we can expect this to be a race between Apple and Samsung, and perhaps even like Huawei and and Xiaomi even to introduce the best new AI features. Just as in the past, Samsung and Apple raced against each other to roll out the best cameras, the best phone designs, and the best display screens. Ultimately, I predict that Apple and Samsung will end up offering very similar AI features, and that's really not going to set them apart. What will end up giving Apple or Samsung an edge against each other might be new hardware or changes to how the phones look. So, like a radical redesign, because phones have looked very similar for the past few years, and even consumers are buying new phones less and less because they're saying, "Hey, even the S24 looks like the S23. So, if I don't know about the AI features, I may wait to upgrade." We talked about features like translating conversations, editing photos. Do you expect AI-powered phones to do even more in the future? Yes, absolutely. Because we're still very early in the AI adoption cycle. If you think about it, even if you're talking about ChatGPT or Samsung smartphones, the AI we are using today is going to be the worst version of the AI we will see in the future. Because things are going to improve very quickly in this area. I believe we'll soon see AI embedded in every part of the phone, not just in individual apps. So personally, if I could dream a little bit, one thing I would love to see is something like a universal search feature on a phone, where I can find anything on my phone in just one place. So I can pull out photos, messages, documents, or even part of documents that are stored on my phone. This kind of search already exists on most phones, and it does, but it's not very good. But AI can make it better, especially when we embed things like OpenAI's ChatGPT or Google's Gemini language model to make search more intuitive. So, for example, let's say I went to a dinner party five years ago and I had a great bottle of wine, but I forgot the name of the wine, and I also forgot if the picture is on my phone gallery or in my cloud storage. I'll never find the wine. But if I could type in a search query such as "dinner party bottle of wine on a table." And the phone can pull out the exact picture that I'm talking about, and then even do a Google search to show me where I can buy the wine. That will be a game changer in terms of everyday AI usage, and I really want to see something like that sooner rather than later. So recently, OpenAI updated its rules for the users. It deleted the part which said military and warfare activities were banned, and a few days later, it announced a partnership with the Department of Defense of the United States. Raj, can you tell us more about the partnership? At the moment, we don't have too many details, but the current partnership that OpenAI has with DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, part of the Department of Defense, is that they want to use OpenAI's technology to develop better cybersecurity measures to protect the country's critical infrastructure. So here we can guess they're talking about their electricity grid or their utility companies. And OpenAI also seems to be working on an initiative to help prevent suicide by military veterans in the U.S. What other kinds of military users are now permitted when using OpenAI services? Other than cybersecurity, 
there's other ways that AI could be used for military purposes. For example, generative AI, like a language model or a generative tool, can be used in theory to create military training simulations. So people can play like war games in like a very technological environment. Now, machine learning can also predict when aircraft or tanks might start to fail or break down so that maintenance teams can patch the problems very quickly before the problem becomes unfixable. Then, of course, we have the ethically questionable applications, such as using AI to create and improve autonomous weapons or even cyber warfare techniques. And that honestly makes people quite uncomfortable. OpenAI at this point still states that its users shouldn't use its services to develop or use weapons. Do you think this is a policy that shouldn't or mustn't be changed? Yeah, this is a reasonable policy that should remain in place simply because many of OpenAI's tools are publicly available tools. So OpenAI has made it clear that they aspire to a very high standard of safety. As a company, they want their tools to be as non-controversial as possible. The same standard also applies to publicly available software from companies such as Microsoft or Google. Both Microsoft and Google undertake contracts for the U.S. Department of Defense even though they don't appear at the moment to be working on serious weapons projects. In fact, a few years ago, Google's own employees forced Google to back out of a project that involves military drones. Right. But is AI already being used in weapons already? Different countries are increasingly developing weapons with autonomous functions. Yeah, AI is already being used in autonomous weapons. And the type of weapon we hear the most about are drones. Today, we don't have that many military-grade drones that can function autonomously or select targets and act on their own. But this capability is probably going to come sooner rather than later. And unfortunately, using AI to make autonomous weapons more deadly is just going to continue because not every country and company will hold themselves to the same high humanitarian standards as other countries. Now, the implications are that warfare might become more automated, which raises a bunch of moral dilemmas. Should machines be able to make decisions that can kill people or hurt people? Where do we draw the line as a society? And what happens if a drone that's acting on its own ends up hurting civilians by mistake? These are a lot of tough questions that policymakers and intergovernmental organizations, such as the United Nations and NATO, need to think about. There's an international declaration on using AI for military purposes responsibly. Around 50 countries have endorsed it, but it's non-binding. So how effective or important is it going to be? It's extremely important. And international agreements on weaponizing AI, much like this one, they may become binding soon. We've had similar agreements in the past related to nuclear non-proliferation during the Cold War. And those agreements remain in place today, even today, in some shape or form. However, it really remains to be seen if these new AI weaponization agreements and these treaties, how well are they going to be enforced? What's going to happen when the first country violates this agreement during a hot war? If we look at the history of warfare, something like this is inevitable. Now, when these agreements are eventually breached, the way the international community reacts to this will actually determine how effective we are at preventing AI from being overly weaponized and used to hurt people and destabilize regions.